The Guardian. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Paul Farrelly. Number one. Number one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in sending our deepest condolences to the families and friends of signaller Ian Sartorius-Jones from the 20th Armoured Brigade Headquarters and Signal Squadron and Lance Corporal Gaj Bahadur Garung, attached to 1st Battalion, the Yorkshire Regiment. These were dedicated soldiers who were highly respected by their colleagues. Their courageous, selfless, selfless service will never be forgotten by our country. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Paul Farrelly. Can I associate myself and the whole House with the yeah. Prime Minister's remarks uh, and condolences to the family and friends of the two brave soldiers who have given the ultimate sacrifice in the service of their country? Yeah. Mr Speaker, in the past week, Chief Constables in England and Wales have warned that policing is on a cliff edge and facing a watershed moment as numbers fall to the lowest in a decade. My own force in Staffordshire is cutting hundreds of officers and staff. Yet during the TV debates at the general election, the Prime Minister said the following. There's no doubt about it. We're not seeing enough police on the streets. We're not catching enough burglars. We're not convicting enough. So could I ask the Prime Minister, how does his rhetoric then square with the reality of what's happening to frontline policing now? Well, the, the fact is the percentage of officers on the front line has actually increased. What we, what we inherited, we inherited a situation, we inherited a situation where there were 6,000 uniformed officers performing back office roles in the police. Now, we have had to make difficult spending reductions, but I think if he listens to his front bench, he'll now find out they support the cuts and they support the pay freeze and they even so strongly support our police commissioners that droves of Labour MPs are going to quit to try and become them. Alok Sharma. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, tonight, this House has a historic vote on whether households on benefits should be able to receive more than households in work. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that the introduction of a benefits cap should have the support of the whole House? I think my honourable friend is entirely right. The cap is right and the cap is fair. It is right to say you shouldn't get more than £26,000 a year in benefits. That is £500 a week. And it's fair because we're introducing a new principle into our welfare system that an able-bodied family that can work should not get more in benefits than the average family gets from work. The leader of the party opposite has said he's not against a cap in principle. Tonight we'll find out whether he's in favour of a cap in practice. Mr Speaker, can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to signaller Ian Sartorius-Jones from 20th Armoured Brigade Headquarters and Signal Squadron and Lance Corporal Gajbahada Gurung attached to 1st Battalion, the Yorkshire Regiment. Both men showed exceptional courage and bravery, and our thoughts are with their family and friends. Mr Speaker, before the election, legislation was passed by Parliament with cross-party support to make all banks disclose how many people earn over a million pounds, but it needs the government to trigger the change. Will the Prime Minister now go ahead and do it? We now have the toughest and most transparent regime of any 
centre in the world. For the first time, for the first time ever, banks are going to publish the pay of the top eight executives. That never happened in 13 years of a Labour government. On the specific Walker reforms, Walker himself said it should be done at the same time in all countries across the European Union. Mr Speaker, exactly what we would expect. No leadership on top pay. In case, in, case he hadn't, in case he hadn't heard the news, there are more than eight people earning over a million pounds at our banks. What did the Chancellor say in opposition? He said this. We, I think honourable gentlemen opposition should listen to what the Chancellor said in opposition. He said this, we support proposals to make these banks disclose the number of their employees who are on high salaries. Mr Speaker, he even called for them to publish their names. It's, it's another broken promise from this government. I ask him the question again. The legislation is on the books, it's ready to go, it had all party support. Why doesn't he make it happen? We are listening to the advice of the man who produced the report for the last Labour government. Now, he asks about the number of people getting million pound bonuses. Let me remind him of this. It was the last Labour government, when he was in the Cabinet, that agreed an RBS bonus pool of £1.3 billion. people were getting million pound bonuses and he signed it off. The issue for the honourable gentleman is why is he in favour now in opposition of things he never did in government? Some might call it opposition, some people might call it hypocrisy. Mr Speaker, I'll tell him what hypocrisy is. It's saying he's going to stop a million pound bonus to Stephen Hester and then nodding it through. And I have to say to him, I have to say to him, I think we've now heard it all because he says that the class war against the bankers is going to be led by him and his cabinet of millionaires. I don't think it's going to wash, frankly. Now, let me ask him. Now, let me ask him. Now, let, now let me ask him about another simple proposal. He had no answer on transparency. Does he agree with me that bring, to bring a dose of realism? To the decisions about top pay, there should be an ordinary employee on every pay committee so that people on a huge salary at least have to look one of their employees in the eye and justify it. Order, order. The Prime Minister will know that the use of the word hypocrisy in relation to an individual member is not parliamentary. Therefore, just before order, order. Just before the Prime Minister begins his reply, I would ask him to withdraw that term straight away. I'm very happy to do that, Mr Speaker. I think it's just because that we're expected to listen to the people who presided over the biggest banking and financial disaster in our history. And it's not as if they had nothing to do with it. One of them was the City Minister, and the other one was sitting in the Treasury. And I have to ask, who was it who failed to regulate the banks? Labour. Who was it who gave us the boom and bust? Labour. Who was it who failed to fix the roof when the
when the sun was shining, Labour, who presided over these multi-million pound bonuses and did absolutely nothing, Labour. Now, I have looked very carefully at his propositions. I don't think it is practical uh, to do what he is suggesting. It breaks an important principle of not having people on a remuneration committee who have their own pay determined. So I don't think it's the right way forward. But the House may be interested to know, because I've looked very carefully at all his proposals, he also proposed in Glasgow to ban performance-related pay in, in all but the most exceptional circumstances. I think that is completely wrong. There are people working in offices and factories and shops around the country who want performance-related pay, and if they meet some targets, would like to have a bonus at the end of the year. That is pro-aspiration, pro-doing the right thing for your family, and it shows he hasn't got a clue how to run an economy. Mr Speaker, so now we know where the Prime Minister stands. No to transparency, no to an employee on the Remuneration Committee. And what was the Chancellor doing last week when they were supposedly cracking down on top pay? He was going to Davos to tell the business community to lobby for a reduction in the top rate of income tax. We know the truth. We know, we know the truth. When it comes to top pay, this government and this Prime Minister are part of the problem, not part of the solution. Mr Speaker, I, I don't know what the word is for criticising someone who went to Davos when you went to Davos yourself. I, 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 Peter Mandelson used when he was in Davos was struggling. <laughs> the Prime Minister is exceptionally well educated and I'm sure he's got a very full vocabulary and can make proper use of it. Mr David Davis. Speaker. Yesterday it was announced that the French company Dassault had won the first round in the contest for the 10 billion fighter aircraft contract with India. That's disastrous news for thousands of workers up and down the country, particularly in my constituency. Given the long relationship between India and Britain, given the fact that we give many, many times more aid to India than France ever did, would he engage himself and the full force of the government in attempting to reverse this decision? Well, of course, I will do everything I can, as I have already, to encourage uh, the Indians to look at Typhoon, because I think it is such a good aircraft. The decision is obviously disappointing, but it is about who the Indians have assessed as making the lowest bid, and therefore asked to enter into further negotiations. They have not yet awarded the contract. I'd say to my uh, right honourable friend, who I know cares deeply, as I do, about the people employed in his constituency, we don't expect any job losses stemming from this decision, and it doesn't rule out Typhoon for India. We must go on making the case this is a superb aircraft with far better capabilities than Raphael and we will try and encourage the Indians to take that view. Tom Blenkinsop. Thank you Mr Speaker. The Deputy Prime Minister recently said that means testing may be brought in for pensioner bus passes. Was he speaking for the government and does the Prime Minister really think that's fair? I made a very clear commitment at the time of the last election about pensioner bus passes, about pensioner winter fuel payments, about pensioner free TV licences, and we're keeping all those promises. Order, order, the House must calm down. I want to hear Penny Mordaunt. Yeah. If 
a local supermarket closes down, another quickly takes its place. If Portsmouth Football Club closes down, the Pompey fans will not be content with buying their season ticket from Southampton. Will the Prime Minister add his voice to mine in calling for HMRC to meet with the club so it recoups the tax it is owed, that our club survives and that the fans have their chance to become its owners? Um, I, I will certainly uh, do that and I, I think she's absolutely right to raise this issue. Knowing one or two Pompey fans, I can completely understand. The idea that they could go and support Southampton is completely incredible and we must do everything we can to keep this friendly rivalry going. Mr Ed Miliband. Yeah. Mr Speaker, this week... Mr. Speaker, this week the British Medical Journal, the Health Service Journal and Nursing Times published a joint editorial that said, and I quote, that the Prime Minister's reorganisation has destabilised and damaged one of this country's greatest achievements, a system that embodies social justice and has delivered widespread patient satisfaction, public support and value for money. We must make sure that nothing like this ever happens again. Mr Speaker, why does the Prime Minister think he has so comprehensively lost the medical profession's trust? Well, I notice he doesn't want to raise the welfare cap today. I think that people up and down the country will recognise that. Right. There are tens of thousands of general practitioners up and down the country who are implementing our reforms because they want decisions made by doctors, not bureaucrats. They want to see health and social care brought together and they want to put the patient in the driving seat. And what I would say to him is look at what is actually happening in the health service. Waiting times are down. Infection rates are down. The number of people in mixed sex wards that we put up with for 13 years under Labour is down by 94%. He should be praising the good things that are happening in the health service rather than having his policy which is to say an increase in NHS resources is irresponsible. That is their position. It's this government that's putting the money in and getting the reforms right. Every time he talks about the NHS he just shows how out of touch he is with what is happening on the ground. Let me now tell him who is lined up against this bill. 98% of GPs against the bill. The Royal College of Nursing against the bill. The Royal College of Midwives against the bill. The Royal College of Radiologists against the bill. The British Medical Association against the bill. The Patients Association against the bill. Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, he knows in his heart of hearts this bill is a disaster. Now there were, now, there were rumours last week that he was considering dropping the bill. He has a choice. He can carry on regardless, or he can listen to the public and the professions. Will he now do the right thing and drop this unwanted bill? If you are trying to bring into a public service choice, competition, transparency, proper results and publication of results, you will always find that there will be objections. The question is, is it going to improve patient care and the running of the health service? Order, I apologise for interrupting the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister's answer must be heard. There is order. There is excessive noise on both sides. Members must calm down. Let's hear the Prime Minister's answer. Let me, let me tell him something that Tony Blair once wrote about the process of reform. No, I know, I know uh, no, there, there's a man who knows a thing about bonuses uh, and pay. He said this. He said, listen, listen. 
It is an important lesson in the progress of reform. The changes proposed, it is denounced as a disaster. It proceeds with vast opposition. It is unpopular. It comes about. Within a short space of time, it is as if it has always been so. The lesson is instructive. If you think a change is right, go with it. The opposition is inevitable, but it is rarely unbeatable. Now, someone who knew a thing or two about reform. Mr. Speaker. Order. Order. The Honourable Member will be heard. Laura Sands. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, a year ago, I asked the Prime Minister for help when we, there was the announcement of the Pfizer closure in Sandwich. Would the Prime Minister agree with me that the support and help from his ministers that has delivered us an enterprise zone and £40 million for jobs in East Kent ensures that we are still a leading centre for life sciences? No, and I'm delighted with what the Honourable Lady says. And look, it, it was a tough and difficult time when Pfizer made that decision. But I think it's shown that government and industry and local people in Kent and organisations coming together, we've actually been able to keep uh, a lot of jobs and a lot of investment and research and development in that area. And what I'd say to all pharmaceutical companies is this government has the patent box. So if you invent things in this country and if you develop them in this country, you only pay a 10% corporation tax rate. That enables us to say to pharmaceutical companies all over the world, come and invest in Britain. Dan Jarvis. Mr. Speaker, this week temperatures across Britain have dropped drastically, and last winter 200 people died every day from preventable cold weather related illnesses. But in Barnsley, instead of being able to focus resource on promoting the dangers of cold weather, we've had to set aside £17 million for an undemocratic, top down, reorganisation of the NHS. Can the Prime Minister tell my constituents if this really is a responsible use of public money? Well, first of all, what I'd say to him and to everyone in Barnsley is this government has been able to keep the higher level of cold weather payments that were introduced before the election, and we've kept them for all years, and I think that will be a real help, along with the winter fuel allowance. What I'd say to him about the NHS is to simply look at the figures. If you look since the election, there are 4,000 more doctors working in our NHS. There are 620 more midwives working in our uh, NHS, and we're actually treating 100,000 more patients per month in our NHS. That's what's actually happening in the NHS if he actually looks at what's happening in his hospital rather than just repeats what the trade unions are telling him. Break. The Prime Minister will be aware that talks between St George's and Epsom and St Helier Trust have been abandoned regarding the possible merger. Could I seek from the Prime Minister some reassurances that the Epsom and St Helier Trust will be able to engage with uh, local partners such as local authorities and the clinical commissioning groups to come forward with a proposal that meets local health needs and also that the £219 million allocated for the hospital is still available? Well, I totally understand my honourable friend's concerns about this issue. The priority for the Trust remains to secure the future of Epsom, St Helier and Sutton hospitals. I understand the Trust Board and those working on a possible merger had already started to look at the other options in case this didn't happen. I understand they're now looking at the next steps and I'm sure the Department of Health will want to engage very closely with him as this unfolds. Margaret Ritchie. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister, you're keen to tell us that work should always pay. Therefore, what do you say to my constituents from low and middle income families who have contacted me to, con- to 
to convey their fears about the measures being brought forward by the government, such as the removal of working and child tax credits. These are working people who are already facing severe financial difficulties, and the current proposals could cost these hard-working families with disabled children in receipt of the lower disability premium over £1,300 per year. I'd make two points to the Honourable Lady. Of course we've had to reform uh, the tax credit system. When we came to office, tax credits went all the way up the income scale so that actually people, even people in this house, were eligible for tax credits and we have taken it further down the income, the income scale. In terms of what she says about disability, I'd make two points. First of all, disability living allowance, the absolutely key benefit, is, is going up by 5.2% this April, which will be well ahead of inflation. And the point I would make about the universal credit issue is, as she knows, there's the lower rate for disabled children at £53. Anyone on that level is going to be completely protected through transitional payments. We haven't yet set the higher rate, but I can tell the Honourable Lady it will be at least what it is now and possibly higher. Mr McVeigh. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Will the Prime Minister, as a matter of urgency, look into the recent shocking report by Anna Klowinski into allegations of overcharging of vulnerable adults on Wirral and also cases of violence and intimidation under a Labour-led council control, making sure those responsible are brought to account and never work in adult social services again? I will certainly look at the report that she mentions. It is clearly a very serious matter. I'll also ask the Minister responsible in the Department of Health to look into this matter further and speak with her. Uh, Clearly, CQC, which has had a difficult birth, uh, has got a really important job to do in terms of making sure its inspections are thorough and targeted in the areas where they're most needed. And clearly, it sounds from what she said, is there's a very great need for this to happen on Merseyside. Katie Clark. Yet again today, the Prime Minister has denied that he's cutting benefits for disabled children, but the lower rate of disability living allowance for disabled children has been reduced from £54, almost £54, to almost £27, a cut of practically 50%. 100,000 children are going to be affected. Is that not correct, Prime Minister? What is correct is that anyone on that lower rate of payment, no one will receive less as a result of their move to universal credit. No one will be affected by that. David Nuttall. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree that a meaningful cap on benefits is essential if we are to end the something-for-nothing culture which developed under the last government? I think that is absolutely right. It is right to bring in this cap. It does introduce a new principle, which is you shouldn't be better off on benefits than the average family is in work. But what we've had from the party opposite is a complete silence. Are they going to be supporting us tonight in the lobbies? Why not just nod? 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 Answer came that I thought it was all about taking tough decisions, that they were in favour of a cap. They were going to tear up some of Labour's history. It was time to make some bold decisions. Come on, one bold decision. Just nod. Are you with us or are you against us? A great big vacuum. Sheila Gilmore. What a pathetic close. Can the Prime Minister explain why my 65-year-old constituent who couldn't get a council home, has to pay £100 of our £570 a month rent uh, because of his housing benefit reforms. 
why is this Prime Minister so much tougher on the vulnerable than he is on the powerful with their excessive bonuses? We, we, we know they're not going to back us on the welfare cap, and now we can see they're, back, they're against the housing benefit reforms as well. Let me just remind her what her own welfare minister said. He said it's completely unacceptable that housing benefit has rocketed to £20 billion. And this is what he said. This is what he said. Where is, where is, where is Baldemort? He's not at home today. Um, he said this. He said this. Beverage, Beverage would scarcely have believed housing benefit alone is costing the UK over £20 billion a year. Now, this government is reforming it. That opposition's doing nothing. Yeah. Keep a towel. This House, who claim that they're on the side of hard-working families across the country, should vote with the government tonight to cap benefits at £26,000, which is, after all, the average income of hard-working families. She's absolutely right. I think people up and down the country will be completely amazed that supposedly the party that's meant to stand up for working people thinks that it's okay to get more on benefits than a family gets from working. So let me give them one more go. Are you with us in the lobbies tonight? Absolutely hopeless. It is now clear that the single biggest funder of the Prime Minister's party got his peerage on false pretenses. Can the Prime Minister guarantee that Lord Ashcroft has now told the whole truth about his connections with the building company Johnson International, or is it yet again one rule for his rich friends and another rule for everyone else? I've answered this question many times, but I might point out to him, the largest funder of his party has been based offshore. There are, there are 8 million households who have to make do with earning £26,000 or less before tax. What message does my right honourable friend think we will be sending to those people if we are to renege on our promise to cap benefits at £26,000 a year? I think there'll be many people in the country who do criticise the benefit cap and say actually £26,000, £500 a week is actually too high. Now, I think it is fair, I think it is right, but I think they have got, people have got an expectation of their politicians that we're going to make it clear that you're better off in work than you are in benefits. Now there are plenty of people who are excluded from the cap because they're on disability living allowance, they're not able to work and the rest of it. But if you can work, you shouldn't be better off on benefits. A simple principle and I find it amazing that the party opposite can't agree. One more go, one little nod, nothing. Uh, Mr. Mr Speaker, in, in opposition, the Prime Minister told millions on TV, if you work hard, I'll be behind you. state-owned RBS hasn't signed up to pay the living wage of £8.30 in London and £7.20 per hour elsewhere oh, for all its staff and contractors. Right Why does his government support low wages for workers but big bucks and bonuses for yeah. banks? Yeah.
Well, I thought by saying standing up for people who work hard, he was beginning to get the hang of it, and we might have a we might have a supporter tonight. What this government has done with RBS is radically cut the bonus pool that was massive under Labour. Is actually say there should be a two thousand pound cash cap, under, unlike the massive cash increase, uh, increases under Labour, and are actually beginning to get this bank under control. Dr. Julian Huppert. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Liberal Democrat plan to increase the income tax threshold to £10,000 was on the front page of our manifesto. It will give many working people an extra £700 a year and lift millions of poorly paid people out of income tax altogether. At a time when many working people are struggling to make ends meet, will the Prime Minister agree to go further and faster on this much needed tax cut? I think the Honourable Gentleman is right to raise this issue. I'm proud of the fact that we've taken 1.1 million people out of tax. Those are some of the lowest paid people in our country. The majority of them are women, and we're committed to making further progress during this Parliament with this policy. Rosie Cooper. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister, before the general election, you told midwives that you would make their lives easier and that you would recruit 3,000 more midwives. Since the general election, nurses and midwives have been downbanded, working harder for less, and midwives in training have been reduced by 3% a year. Were the British people wrong to take you at your word? Come on, deliver! I'm very sorry, but the Honourable Lady's figures are in fact wrong. Compared with the election, there are over 620 more midwives working in the NHS, and there are record numbers in training. Now, we want to do more, but we'll only be able to do more if we keep funding the NHS, and her party is committed to cutting it, saying that NHS funding increases are irresponsible, and we'll only be able to do it if we keep cutting back on the bureaucracy, which we're doing very successfully with our reforms, and making sure the money goes into the front end. But there are more midwives, there are more in training. I'm afraid our figures are wrong. Mr Greg Mulholland. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On New Year's Eve uh, 2010, my constituent Jamie Still was killed by a drink driver who was more than twice over the limit, and yet his family had to face the fact that the person who killed him continued to drive for a further eight months until sentencing. Will the Prime Minister uh, agree to meet with the family and consider their campaign that people who are um, seriously over the limit in a, drink, in a death by dangerous driving case should have as part of their bail conditions their driving licence withdrawn? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, uh, I, my heart goes out to uh, my honourable friend's constituents for the loss that they have suffered. I think he raises a very important point about what happens in cases like these and what you can and cannot do with bail conditions. I'll certainly go away and look at that. It may well be this is something we can consider alongside the recommendations we're considering about drug-related driving. I do think there's more work for the government to do in this area, and I'll certainly listen to his and his constituents' concerns. Nigel Dodds. Mr Speaker, we believe on these benches that the government's welfare cap is both fair and reasonable, and we will be supporting we will be supporting the government and the lobbies tonight. But we also believe that the Lord's amendments affecting vulnerable people, cancer patients, and disabled people are also fair and reasonable. Not least because of the disproportionately detrimental effects on Northern Ireland, which the Prime Minister will be aware of. Why is it, therefore, that we are so limited in time in terms of debating these crucial issues which affect so many of our most vulnerable people? 
Well, first of all, can I thank him for his support in the lobbies tonight and look forward to seeing him there. On the issue of the cancer sufferers and the plans for ESA, let, let me just explain that the number of people, under our plans, the number of cancer sufferers that will get extra long-term help through the ESA support group is actually going to increase, and we're going to reduce the number of people that have to have face-to-face -face assessments. These proposals have been fully supported by Professor Harrington, who we asked to look into this issue, because we weren't happy with the previous government's arrangements and the way that these things were dealt with. The point I'd make to him is there are two types of employment and support allowance. There's the support group who will always go on getting support, not means-tested. As long as they need that help, they will get it. And there's the work-related activity group, people who, with help, are able to work. And I think it's right to ask them, with support, to get into work, and that's what we're going to do. Mr Marcus Jones. Speaker, who does the Prime Minister think is on the side of hard-working, low-paid families in Nuneaton? The Conservative-led coalition that's taking the lowest paid out of tax and capping benefits, or the party opposite who took away the 10 pence tax rate and are flip-flopping over the benefit cap? I think my honourable friend's being a bit uh, charitable. They're not flip-flopping <laughs> over the benefit cap, they're just flopping. <laughs> Order. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.